Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. have your Bibles, I hope you'll join me in Luke chapter number 24. And I want you to hold your place there in Luke chapter number 24. Uh, and I want you to find Matthew chapter 1. So we've got Luke chapter 24. We've got our fingers there. And then we're back over in Matthew chapter 1. While you're finding your place, I, I love... Uh, stories about Christmas and children. I mean, they just, they, they tickle me. They just, kids are funny, especially what comes out of their mouth. And I, I heard a little story about a little 10-year-old little girl uh, who was in Sunday school, and uh, her grandmother taught her. And so her grandmother was always with her, teaching her. And the little girl was becoming quite educated in the Bible, especially Christmas, and thinking about the Messiah and thinking about who Jesus is and him being the Son of God and the Son of Man and, and all of these different things. And uh, then the grandmother started talking about being born of a virgin. And the little girl asked her grandmother, she said, I, I, I got a question, Grandma. She says, now, which uh, virgin was the mother of Jesus? Was it the Virgin Mary or was it the King James Virgin? <laughs> Kids are so, they're so funny. They're funny. Uh, I heard a story about a little boy that I, I thought, I thought it was pretty funny. I, uh, Dave, this could have been, this could have been a, your story. This, this could have been your story. The seven-year-old boy, they sat down to dinner, Christmas meal, and as they were sitting there at that Christmas meal, uh, the, uh, uh, the dad said, Son, why don't, why don't you ask the blessing today? And this little boy bowed his head and closed his eyes, and he began to thank God for uh, his mama, his daddy, his grandma, his grandpa, his brothers, sisters, aunts, and uncles. He's calling them all by name. And uh, then he started thanking God for the food. God, thank you so much for this turkey, and thank you so much for this ham, and this sweet potato casserole. Thank you uh, for all of these things. And then as he's giving thanks for each item that's on the table, he just stops. I mean, just a dead stop and silence. And he, would, he wouldn't open his mouth again. And then family members started opening their eyes, and he was still, man, you could tell, he just was intent. He, he was struggling with something. And then he, he cracked his eye open, and he looked at his mama, and he says, Mama, if I thank God for the Brussels sprouts, he knows I'm lying, right? And then, then my favorite, my, one of my favorite stories about children, though, is the little boy who was a little bit rambunctious. And uh, uh, he was having a hard time with, with Santa, so he decided to write God a letter to encourage Santa a little bit. And so he sat down and wrote God a letter, and he said, Dear God, he said, I've been very good for six months now. And then he stopped. And he got to thinking about it and remembered he was writing God. So he scratched out six uh, months, and he said six weeks. He put six weeks. And then he got to thinking about that. He said, no, that, that ain't right. So he scratched out six weeks, and he put two weeks. He said, no, that still ain't right. So he scratched that out, and he said, I, I, I've, been, I've been good for, for two weeks. I've been good for two weeks. 
And finally, he just got so frustrated, he said, that ain't right. And he wadded the paper up, and he threw it in the trash can. And he walked over to the manger scene where the little figurines of Mary and Joseph, and he picked up Mary. And he went back to the table, sat Mary there on the table, got a fresh sheet of paper, and said, Dear God, I have your mother. If you ever want to see her again, please tell Santa to bring me a bicycle. <laughs> Children are so funny. They are so funny. You know, this, this Christmas season, though, and thinking about Christmas and thinking about the true meaning of Christmas, last time I, I was able to preach, I, we preached a, I preached a message on the virgin birth and uh, talking about the theology of Christmas and who Jesus is. Today I want to talk about the testimonies of, Christ, of Christmas. The testimonies of Christmas. And I've asked you to look at Matthew chapter 1 verse number 21, and I'm reminded of all those children's stories because this is the very first Bible verse that I learned when I was a child. I had to be six or seven years old, and I can remember being at my uncle's church, and my aunt uh, was teaching Sunday school on this particular occasion, and, and she had us memorize uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where the Bible says this, And she, being Mary, shall bring forth a son, being Jesus, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And man, that verse just resonated in my heart. And all these years, I still remember that being the very first Bible verse that I ever learned. A Christmas Bible verse, if you would, that talked about the virgin birth, that talked about Jesus being the Messiah, and how he was going to forgive his people of their sins. And then I read as I get older and I got saved and begin to read the Word of God and you begin to read the Scriptures and begin to read uh, all of uh, the story of Jesus, how He was born and how He grew without sin and, and how He went to Calvary's cross and died on the cross and, and rose again the third day. And then after His resurrection, He spoke to His disciples. And in speaking to his disciples, we find in Luke chapter number 24, in verse number 44, Jesus makes a reference to the fulfillment of the testimonies that were spoken of him. And there are three testimonies in particular that he points out. Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, in verse number 44. The scripture says, and he, being Jesus, said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that is, before his crucifixion, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now we know that the New Testament hadn't been written at this time, so Jesus is referring back to the Old Testament. And he says, there are three testimonies in particular that I want to call your attention to, Jesus says, that had to be fulfilled. And every one of them, by the way, really was fulfilled. Now, a testimony is a vitally important part of each one of our lives as born-again children of God. If you're saved and have a testimony, say amen right there. I'm so grateful that I've got a testimony. March 22nd, 1988, I, I was 14 years old. I gave my heart to Christ. Your testimony may be vastly different. You may, not, you may not remember all those specific details about 
your testimony, but the event. You remember the event. You, re- you remember what happened. And it's significant because that event changed your life. A testimony gives a voice to what happened in our lives. Uh, there have been many occasions throughout the course of my life where I've had to give testimony. I'll never forget the first wreck I ever had. The very first wreck I ever had. I was in college. I made it all through high school without having a wreck. But in college, it was my very first day, Robert. It was my first day to go to class. And uh, I can remember uh, leaving the house. And, and uh, as usual, I hate to admit it, I was late. And for those of you, especially, I've had two people in particular that have been behind me the past two weeks in some way. And they said, boy, Pastor, you must have been in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. I can't help myself. When I die, y'all put that on my graveside. He was in a hurry. That'd be a blessing. And so I, I can remember being in a hurry trying to get to class. And I came around this roundabout trying to get on a bridge. And uh, there was uh, a senior adult lady in front of me that wasn't in quite a hurry as I was in. And uh, I saw an opportunity to go. I'm looking back and saw an opportunity to go. Well, she obviously didn't think the opportunity was as good as I thought the opportunity was. And she didn't go, but I did. Well, we all know what happened. I ran into the back of her. We called the police and all this stuff. And they came out. And what did they ask? What was your testimony? And right then and there, I had to tell them exactly what happened. I was in a hurry. I was trying to get to class. Yada, 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 all this stuff. And I didn't beg for mercy. I was guilty. But I can also remember a testimony I got when I was driving on I-20, that great ribbon between here and forever. And I can remember leaving Carroll County, going to Luther Rice. I'm going to Bible college. Again, I was late. Same old story, same song, second verse. Here I go, and I'm going. And uh, I was new, uh, particularly new to George. I'd only been here a couple of, couple of months. Well, I got myself over in that HOV lane. Now, I was by myself. I got to admit, I was by myself, and I was over in that HOV lane, and I was just getting it. Ain't wasn't nobody over there. Bless God, it was a blessing. I'm getting, I'm going to make it on time. Well, uh, highway patrolman saw me, Rick, and as he saw me, he got behind me and turned those lights on, and instead of me pulling off to the left there, which probably what I should have, you'll love this, I ran, I pulled over the double solid lines, crossed three lanes of traffic, and stopped right there in uh, the exit ramp going up. When I looked in the mirror, I knew it wasn't going to be a good experience because the officer was shaking his head like this right here. He rolled down the window and he said, Sir, he said, Do you know you were in the HOV lane? you got to have at least two people in this vehicle. And he's looking at me. He says, I don't see anybody in here. I said, Officer, you're wrong. Don't ever say that. He said, What do you mean, son? Ain't nobody in here. I said, yes, sir, the Holy Spirit's in here with me. Do you know the highway patrol don't recognize the Holy Spirit as somebody being in the vehicle with you when you're driving in the HOV lane? I pleaded for mercy, and I gave my testimony. But he said, I saw it. I have my own testimony. You're guilty, and he wrote me a ticket. You know how much that thing cost? Over $350. Can I just say this? I ain't never crossed another solid double line in the HOV lane ever, ever again. I learned my lesson from the testimony of myself and the testimony of that officer. A testimony is so vitally important. We've all had to give testimonies at one time or another. Jesus said there are three testimonies in this passage of Scripture that are worth noting because he mentions them to point to his Messiahship. 
Let me show them to you if I could. I hope you get a blessing out of this. It'll be a little bit more teaching than preaching, but it's worth it to get it. Number one, the first testimony I want you to look at is the testimony of the patriarchs. The testimony of the patriarchs. Look at what the Bible says again in Luke chapter 24, in verse number 24. Jesus said that all of these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. I would underline that because he's speaking here of one of the patriarchs. Now we know the patriarchs of the Old Testament are Abraham. We know that Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant is so vitally important. You you cannot have Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 without Genesis chapter 12. You have to have the Abrahamic covenant. God knew that. He understood it. God promised Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing. And we are the fulfillment of that. Jesus Christ came and gave us this blessing of salvation in being engrafted into his chosen people, the Jews. He still has a plan for the Jewish people, but the Jewish people have got to be saved just like you and I have to be saved. They have to come to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. We find that through the Abrahamic covenant. And then you have Isaac. Isaac is a beautiful representation of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, we call it a type of Christ. Isaac is a type of Christ, a a father, if you would, a patriarch that shows us Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a, a sacrifice that was innocent. So was Isaac, as Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. But God made a provision with the ram in the thicket. And that means that you and I were supposed to be on Calvary's cross, but God provided a ram. And God provided a way. God provided a sacrifice. And through Isaac, that wonderful patriarch, we see a beautiful illustration of a type of Jesus Christ. And then you have Jacob. Then you have Jacob in this issue of, uh, uh, of patriotism, or, or, or not patriotism, or uh, pa- patriarchy. Uh, and so we find here this patriarch Jacob, who is mentioned in Romans chapter 9 in the story of, of, of Jacob and Esau, when the testimony is made that Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And it goes back to the fact that Jacob, if you would, offered what God required, offered what God wanted, and that was a sacrifice that was hard and gave that sacrifice. And so we find sacrificial giving in response to the type of Christ uh, through uh, Isaac and through, if you would, Father Abraham, we recognize them as being the patriarchs. But one that we often do not mention, one we often do not recognize, and that's Moses. Jesus, on the other hand, recognizes Moses as a patriarch. Did you notice, David, that he did not mention Abraham? He didn't mention Isaac. He didn't mention Jacob. But he called by name Moses, the law of Moses specifically. Moses is such an important figure that it's been attributed to him that that's how we've got uh, the English writing language today as it has come down through the ages. He is vitally important in many areas of of the patriarchy, if you would, in recognizing that he is very important to the Jewish people and very important to the history of 
of the proclamation of Jesus Christ coming. And Jesus said that his testimony is vitally important. So when you look at the, the history and the tradition, which by the way can be substantiated, you find a very important testimony from Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. In that passage of Scripture, it says that God showed himself to Moses, but Moses could not look upon his full front. So he asked him to hide in the crevice of this rock, and when he said so, he could turn and see God. And so Moses, in turning to look at God, saw the back of God, and the Shekinah glory of God impacted him so that it changed his countenance. It changed the way that he looked. Now, many years ago, we were in what was called the Dark Ages. And when we were in the Dark Ages, no one had the private interpretation of the Word of God. No one could read. We were at the mercy of individuals telling us what the Bible said because we couldn't read it. We weren't educated. Uh, we were uh, a bunch of dummies. We didn't know what we are talking about. And so these priests and these prophets would tell us what the Word of God said. In this particular passage of Scripture, they took a phrase and they mistranslated it out of its context. It was right in the Scriptures. They just interpreted it wrong because they took it out of its context. And that was the word shown. When God shone His glory to Abraham, it changed His countenance. Now that Hebrew word has two meanings. It means great light, Shekinah glory. But it also means little horns, like the horns you'd find on a goat. They interpreted that as goat horns. And so they said in the Dark Ages that when Moses' appearance changed, that he had horns. Isn't that a blessed sight? Now you might think that's funny, because I thought it was funny at first. However, if you go to Rome and you go to the Basilica of St. Peter... There is a statue of Moses there that Michelangelo uh, made. And it has caused people such confusion through the ages because when you look at that sculpture, guess what Moses has? Little horns. You can go look it up. You go home, look it up on the web in the Basilica there of St. Uh, it's the Basilica of, uh, of St. Peter. There's a statue of Moses that Michelangelo uh, sculpted, and uh, Moses has horns. It goes back to the dark ages. Again, I thank God for the Reformation. Thank God that uh, Martin Luther said, you know what, this isn't right. You, you're, you're preaching out of context. You need to let the people see the Word of God. They need to understand what the Word of God says. And through the Reformation, we've got the full passage of Scripture, and we now know that in its context, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, doesn't say that Moses had little horns on his head after he saw, saw God's glory, but the Shekinah glory of God impacted him, so it changed his countenance forever. It changed him. And that's what happens when you encounter God. It changes you forever. So much so that Moses begins this journey to testify to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming. And so we find there in, in uh, these wonderful passages of Scripture of Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. He tells us this beautiful uh, story of how these laws, the laws of Moses, had to be fulfilled. And so when you look at the laws of Moses, you see 
that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22, Moses speaks about Jesus in such a way that we have to note. So what do you mean? So Moses issues a series of warnings to the children of Israel about God's promised Messiah. And in doing so, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses says this, The Lord thy God will rise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now, upon first reading of this, this reference uh, to a prophet seems a little vague. In fact, we think that it might even be talking about uh, in, in regards to Joshua, thinking about Joshua coming after Moses. However, you can't deny that it's a capital P, and it's talking about someone greater than Joshua. So Jesus points out in Luke chapter number 24, in verse number 27 that Moses is prophesying concerning the Messiah when he says this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus actually starts at Deuteronomy chapter 18 when he begins to talk about himself, saying, I am the prophet that Moses was talking about. So this reference, again, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. So here's the question. The question we must ponder is, did the Jews of Jesus' day think about Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, to be a messianic reference? And when you think about that question, to answer that question, you've got to first of all look at John chapter 1, verse 45. In John chapter 1, verse 45, the Bible says this. The Bible says, Philip found Nathanael. And he said to Nathanael, we have found him, talking about Jesus. We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. From this reference, it's logical to deduct that the Jews were looking for the fulfillment of Moses' uh, testimony as it equated to the prophet of Deuteronomy chapter 18 to be the same Messiah that he testified it would be. So we find here that here is a New Testament proof text that Moses testified that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and Stephen who found Nathaniel said, it's the son of Joseph. He is the Messiah. Peter himself actually refers to this passage in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, when uh, the Bible says this, uh, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God rise unto you out of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. I want you to take notice. Peter's understanding of Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 19. When he says, whoever will not hearken unto my words, which, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of him. In Peter's message... Peter clearly understands that phrase to mean shall be destroyed 
from among all people. Without question, Peter regarded Moses' words to be a messianic prophecy. So Peter testifies to the fact, as well as Nathaniel testifying to the fact, Stephen testifying to the fact, and Stephen further confirms this understanding when he mentions this to all of his Jewish listeners when he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 37, this is that Moses which has been said to the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord give you, and he shall rise up from your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Time and time and time and time again, the testimony of Moses is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We have the testimony of the patriarch. Moses said, Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, there's a second thing I want you to notice here. Not only do we see the testimony of the patriarch, but there's also the testimony of the prophets. The testimony of the prophets. Now I want you to take your Bible and, and let me show you something. Just turn over in the front of your Bible and I'd like for you to find the uh, contents of your Bible. It's the front first page. Looks something like this right here, contents. And you'll see that in the contents of your Bible, that the, the Bible is divided into two categories. There are two categories, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Again, at this particular stage of the writing of uh, Luke chapter 24, the New Testament does not exist. So Jesus refers to the Old Testament. And within the Old Testament, he makes a comment and he says that all of these things have to be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses, the patriarch, but also of the prophets. When you look at your Old Testament there in the contents, there are two divisions that most of the time are not recognized in your Bible. You understand your, your scriptures are not written in chronological order. Uh, they're written uh, in order of themes, but not, chrono not chronologically. And so it, when the Bible talks about the prophets, we have to learn, and, I'm, and this is what I want to help you with today, we've got to learn that when it comes to the prophets, there's what the Bible calls major prophets, and then there's what the Bible calls minor prophets. And so Jesus says all of the prophets, so he's talking about major prophets and he's talking about minor prophets. And so I want to look at these two. Who are, number one, the major prophets? If he's talking about the testimony of the prophets, who are the major prophets? So if you have your Bible, you can do this any way you want. If you've got two different color highlighters, you can highlight the major prophets in one and highlight the minor prophets in another. Or maybe you just want to put a check mark by the major prophets and a circle by the minor prophets. However you want to do it, I just want to get you ready so I can give you the major prophets. Who are the major prophets? The major prophets are Isaiah... Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are the major prophets. Now, let me say this about Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote two books, the one that's attributed to his name, but you also have to highlight, circle, or put a check by however you're recognizing the major prophets. You need to put a check by Lamentations because he wrote that one as well. So you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. 
And each one of these major prophets proclaimed a theme about the Messiah. So Jesus said these things had to come to pass. All of these things had to be fulfilled. So what did the major prophets say about the Messiah? Well, let's think about Isaiah just a minute. Isaiah 9, 6, what does that say? And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah proclaims the Messiah to be just that. And you see that picture of Jesus throughout the course of his life. Jeremiah then comes alongside. Now, Jeremiah, he was prophesying during a, uh, a really strange time for the children of Israel. And he is known as the weeping prophet. And he produces, if you would, a testimony of the Messiah that coincides with the weeping prophet. In fact, we would say this. We would say he portrays Jesus as the weeping Messiah. What is Jesus weeping over? The sins of the world. Also in Lamentations, we see the same thing. So you could put that phrase on both of those. Let's go to the next one, Ezekiel, because I want to get through this whole sermon. Ezekiel. Ezekiel testifies to the fact that Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And then you've got Daniel. Daniel portrays Jesus as the one, as the Messiah, as the one that will be with you even in difficult days. And so the Bible says that Jesus said these prophecies that they wrote about, all the prophecies that are wrote, all the things that they said about me, all of these had to become fulfilled in these major prophets. Jesus had to be the one to take care of us in difficult times. The Son of Man and the Son of God, the weeping Messiah, the wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Major prophets. And then number two, so here's the second one. They're minor prophets. There are minor prophets. Who are the minor prophets? The minor prophets are also called the twelve. There are twelve of them. Let me give them to you so you can mark them accordingly. There is Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They say, well, why do they call major prophets major? And why do they call minor prophets minor? Well, basically because their books, the major prophets, are longer. Their content is broader and even has global implications. On the other hand, the minor prophets, which are called the twelve, seem to be more focused, if you would. When you think about Hosea, you think about how he describes Jesus or the Messiah as a faithful husband, even when we run away from him. Jesus the Messiah is a long-suffering Messiah. Number two, you think about Joel. Joel testifies to the fact that he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Joel in the Old Testament says the Holy Spirit is going to come and Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. When do we get baptized in the Holy Spirit? When we get saved. Amos. Amos says that the Messiah will be the one that delivers justice to the oppressed. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, before I got saved, I was oppressed by sin. And Jesus Christ delivered me. 
And thank God his justice was that of mercy and grace. Obadiah calls Jesus or the Messiah. He is mighty to save. Jonah says he's the great missionary. Micah says he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Nahum says he proclaims the future world to be world peace as he comes back to this earth. Habakkuk says he will crush injustice. Zephaniah says he is the warrior who saves. Haggai says he's the restorer of our worship. Zechariah says he is the Lord and King over all the earth. And Malachi says says he is the son of righteousness who brings healing in our wings and Jesus said all of these things must come to pass and as soon as Malachi said what he said silence fell on the whole world for 400 years God's ways are not our ways but 400 years after Malachi says The Messiah will be the son of righteousness who brings healing. One day in Bethlehem, the Messiah was born. And the angel tells Mary, she will bring forth, or tells Joseph, and she'll bring forth a son. And you'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The testimony of the prophets. The testimony of the patriarch. And then here's the third and final testimony Jesus speaks about again. Let me call your attention to Luke chapter 24, verse 44. The Bible says this. He finishes and says, All these things must be fulfilled which was written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms. He says there's a third testimony I don't want you to neglect. And that third testimony is the testimony of the Psalms. He simply says that the Psalms give us great testimony to who Jesus is. His Messiahship. And so when looking at this wonderful uh, passage of Scripture, we oftentimes ask ourselves the question, well, which Psalms, which Psalm predicts the coming of Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is that there's a collection of inspired songs, which are called psalms, if you would, that were used to worship God. And many of them foretell the coming of the Messiah. And many of them predict the events uh, that were to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ's life. And in total, there are 25 different psalms. That's one psalm out of every six psalms that includes some form of messianic prophecy. So one out of every six psalms testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The Messianic psalms are even quoted uh, in the New Testament 11 times, excuse me, in 11 New Testament books. Especially in the Gospel and in the wonderful book of Acts. I want you to think about this just for a few minutes. There are uh, five, uh, five key topics that the Psalms mention concerning the Messiahship of Jesus. Number one, it speaks concerning the Messiah's birth. It speaks concerning the Messiah's birth. If you have your Bible, I want you to find Psalm uh, chapter number 2. Let's turn to Psalm chapter number 2. The Bible says here in Psalm chapter number 2, We find these words in verse number 
6. He says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. History tells us that this holy hill by which uh, we uh, think about here in regards to uh, Jesus Christ, in regards to uh, who he's talking about, this beautiful psalm is giving us a beautiful illustration here of the pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is going to be coming, if you will, uh, to the throne. And as he comes to the throne of God, he will be on the holy hill of Zion. He is the king that will be born. Now, I want you to look at this. I want you to look, if you would, in Psalm chapter number uh, 89. Let's turn over there. Psalm chapter 89. In Psalm chapter number 89, I want you to look at verse 3 and verse 4. Psalm 89, verse 3 and verse 4. Now, the Bible says here in this psalm, I have made a covenant with my chosen... I have sworn unto David my servant. David, your seed will I establish forever and build upon the throne to all generations. This is a messianic psalm. This messianic psalm gives us the beautiful, beautiful illustration. Jesus will come from the lineage of David. I don't have time to turn there, but this fulfill is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew 1.1 is the fulfillment of this prophecy. The Bible says very clearly that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David. The Psalms speak of the Messiah's birth. Now, I can't go through all of them, but let me give you a few more. Psalms chapter 18, verse 49. This Psalm talks about the Messiah will come for all people. The Messiah will come for all people. Psalms chapter 18, verse 49. Paul says in the fulfillment of Psalms 1849, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, which testifies to the fact that Jesus came for all people. You see, here's what we, we're, we struggle with today. Does, can Jesus save me? Yes, Jesus can save everyone. He can save anyone. What you have to do is surrender and come to him. Think, well, man, i got to clean up first. No, you don't have to clean up. Jesus did everything that needs to be done. And the Messiahship of Jesus Christ at his birth proclaims that fact. Psalms 22, verse 9 says, The Messiah will know his father from childhood. Psalm 22, 9. That is to say that from a child, Jesus Christ knew that his father was God. Let me give you one more. Psalm 22.10. The Messiah will be called by God while still in the womb. We find that in Luke chapter 1 verse 30. Uh, we know that the incarnation happened when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And the Messiah was preparing himself for Calvary. We see in the Psalms the testimony of the Messiah concerning his birth. Number two, let me give you a second one. Not only do we see his birth, but we also see information concerning the Messiah's nature as well as his name. His nature as well as his name. Take your Bibles again and let's go, uh, if you would, to Psalm chapter number two once more. Let's go to Psalm chapter number two. Uh, let's look at this if we could. The Bible says in Psalm... Chapter number 2, 
I want us to look at verse number 7. Psalm 2, verse 7. The scripture says this. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Here we find in this beautiful psalm that the Messiah will be the Son of God. Again, fulfilled in Luke chapter number 1. Uh, we can go on. The psalm says in Psalm chapter 45 verse 6 that the Messiah is God. We know that Jesus Christ uh, testified to the fact that he was God. That was the very uh, words that the Sanhedrin said were blasphemous in what sent him to Calvary's cross. But it nonetheless reigns true. Jesus is God. The Bible tells us throughout the course of the Psalms that the Messiah will be the stone rejected by the builders. Psalm chapter 118 verse 22. The very same language that's used in Matthew chapter 21 verses 42 through 43 saying that Jesus was a stone that was rejected by the builders. The Psalms point to the Messiahship of Jesus Christ concerning his name, concerning his nature, concerning his birth. How about this one? Number three, concerning his ministry. Concerning his ministry. Now, the Bible tells us in Psalms chapter number 40, in Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, that the Messiah will reveal that the Hebrew scriptures were written of him. They were written of him. John chapter 5 and verse 39 and 40 testify to the fact where Jesus talks about the fact that these things had to be fulfilled. And in those fulfillments, they were speaking, these Psalms were speaking of Him. Psalms chapter 78 verse 2 says the Messiah will teach in parables. Psalms chapter 107 says that the Messiah will calm the stormy sea. Psalm chapter 45 says the Messiah will act out in righteousness. Psalm chapter 118 says the Messiah will come in the name of the Lord. All of which are fulfilled in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew Matthew chapter 8, John chapter 5, Matthew chapter 21, time and time and time and time and time again, it proclaims the fact and testifies to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. Number four, it also speaks of his betrayal and death. The Psalms speak of the betrayal and death of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 22, 1, that the Messiah will feel forsaken by God at his crucifixion. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Messiah will be despised and rejected by his own according to Psalm 22, 6. In Psalm 22, we find time after time after time the betrayal and death of Jesus Christ. And as you read Psalm 22, it is very clear and very evident that his mocking, his rejection, his praying without ceasing, his forsaking God on, on, at his crucifixion, all of these things reign true that are proclaimed in the New Testament saying Jesus really is the Messiah. And then number five and the final one. In regards to who Jesus is, in regards to his Messiahship and the testimony of the Psalms, we've seen that it talks about him concerning his birth, concerning his nature and his name, concerning his ministry, concerning his betrayal and death. And then number five, here's the fifth one it talks about, his resurrection. 
And it doesn't stop at his resurrection. It continues on talking about in Psalms his exaltation. So in the book of Psalms, you go from his birth all the way to his exaltation. Time and time and time again. Like Psalms one six, or excuse me, Psalm 16, uh, verses 8 through 10 that talk about his resurrection. How about Psalms 16 again where it talks about his body will not naturally decay. He will rise up from the dead. And we find that he goes on and on and on and all the way to Psalms 80 where the Messiah will be exalted at the right hand of God. Uh, again, a fulfillment of Acts chapter 5. The testimony of the Psalms proclaim one thing. Jesus is the Messiah. The testimony of the prophets proclaim one thing. Jesus is the Messiah. And the testimony of the patriarchs proclaims one thing. Jesus is the Messiah. A testimony is so strong that you cannot, divide, you cannot deny the evidence which exists. Many years ago, uh, when I was just a teenager before I got saved, me and my best friend went to the movies. And while we were at the movies, we, uh, we did something so Foolish. It was foolish. But we were teenagers. We were kids. I, I mean, I don't know. We, we had to be 13, I guess. Maybe we were 12. I, I can't remember. I can't remember the movie we were watching. I just remember us being at the movie theater, sitting on the curb. And we were sitting there on the curb, and I was looking at my friend. My friend was looking at me, and he said, I bet I could hit that bumper of that car with this ice. I said, I bet you can't. He said, let's see who can get closest to it. I said, okay. And he threw it. Ping! That ice hit the bumper of that car. I said, well, you hit it. I said, uh, let me see how close I can get to it. I picked up a piece of ice. I said, ping! I hit it. I said, let's try it again. Ping! Ping! So uh, we hit it every time. We were good shots that day. What we didn't know is that there was a man in that car with his date. And there was his friend in the back of that car. And they were double dating. They were waiting, I guess, on the next movie. Well, about the sixth time, that ice left my friend's hand and hit the bumper of that car and said, Ting! The doors on that vehicle popped open fast. <laughs> and the guy got out and he, and, and I looked. Um, I've always looked young. I know I look a little older now because my hair's turning white, uh, thanks to my kids, not y'all, my kids. Uh, but uh, I, I've, I've always looked really, really young. If I shave, I've got baby face and all that stuff. And so um, I, guess, I guess he knew I was a kid, uh, and, and, and he didn't touch me. But my friend, on the other hand, Trey was kind of cocky, kind of bulky and kind of stocky. And uh, he reached his hand and grabbed Trey by the throat just like this. And I could hear all the air come out of him. He picked him up off, the, off of the sidewalk, picked him up. And he threw him as hard as he could throw him against the movie theater. And Trey slid down a holly bush. Slid down in this holly bush. And so as he's in this holly bush, I'm standing, my, I'm just, I can't believe what's going on. I mean, am I next? I mean, I mean I'm just like, I'm frozen. I'm, I'm just terrified. Uh, and I didn't get touched. And the guy said, don't ever throw any rocks at my car again. And he got in the car and, and left. 
Well, as soon as he scratched off and got out of it, I turned around and went to the bush and I said, Trey, are you okay? And all I heard from the bush coming from the but couldn't sing because he was down in there. All I could hear is, uh. And he had a, his, his stepdad's name was Harold. Uh, we loved Harold. Uh, we loved making fun of Harold. Uh, Harold's with the Lord now. But we, 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 we loved Harold. And uh, Harold was a unique individual. But from the bush, Trey goes, uh, Call Harold. Tell him to bring his nunchucks. So we call Harold. They call the police. Somebody calls the police. And, and here's the point I'm trying to make. They wanted my testimony. What did I see? Well, I told him exactly what I saw. They, Trey gave his testimony. I gave my testimony. And they couldn't find the evidence because they said it was rock. It wasn't rocks. It was ice. All the evidence had melted. And uh, so... There was another testimony, though, that was taken that night that was greater than my testimony and my friend's testimony. And that was the testimony of the lady selling the tickets. You know the lady in the little booth selling the tickets? She saw the whole thing. And as soon as she saw the doors of that vehicle open, she wrote down the, tail, the, the license plate of that individual. And come to find out, the gentleman uh, was in a little bit of trouble and, uh, with the law, and he was in a little bit of trouble with us now because he had just assaulted a teenager. And the individual ended up in jail. It was really a, a really sad, sad story. But the point I want to make to you is this. As good and as truthful as my testimony was, in my experience, as good and as truthful that, as Trey's testimony was, it could not bring that guy to justice. The only thing that could bring that guy to justice was the testimony of the lady selling the tickets. Now watch this. When Jesus said the testimony of, talking about the testimony of Moses, the patriarch, the testimony of the prophets, the testimony of the Psalms, Every one of them point down through the future when they spoke to the future, saying, there is coming a time when Jesus Christ the Messiah will be born of a virgin, he will be a prophet, he will be a priest, he will be a king, he will live a sinless life, he will die on Calvary's cross. On the third day, he will rise up again. And he will be victorious. And then he'll be seen over 500 people and will be taken up into heaven in his glorification. You go check it out. Just use history. In history, there's only one man who's ever done everything the Bible talks about. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. The testimony of the patriarchs say so. The testimony of the prophets say so. And the testimony of the Psalms say so. And we hadn't even got to the New Testament. So I want to ask you a question today, dear friend. My time is up. I'm over. I'm obviously, I got more preaching in me than I got time. But here's the question. If Jesus Christ is the Messiah, 
And Jesus said in the book of John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is to say, no one gets to heaven unless they come through Jesus Christ. Then, friend, when you die, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd you'd meet God and you'd be able to enter into heaven? Oh, you'll meet God, but we'll let you into his heaven. The only way to heaven is knowing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Do you know that, friend? Say, well, how how do you know that for sure, preacher? I mean, I know you, you gave evidence in the Old Testament. Can I just give you this one verse in closing? 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, there are some things we hope, there are some things we think, but I'm telling you what, there are some things we know. Bless God, I know when I'm done here this afternoon, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get me something to eat. I know that for a fact. But let me say this, David, you know what I know even, even more factual than that? Where I'm going to spend an eternity. And the way that I know that is on March 22nd, 1988, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I've got what's called a testimony. You see, if you don't have a testimony, then you don't have salvation. Let's bow for prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let that bounce around in your heart just for a minute. If you don't have a testimony, then you don't have salvation. Dear friend, maybe you're here today and say, Preacher, I do not have a testimony. But I want one. Oh, I want one. Then why not today be the day of your salvation? Why not today, let today be the day you get a testimony? Where you could say in the midst of this COVID mess, on this one December Sunday morning in 2020, I got it settled in my heart. I know that Jesus is the Messiah. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right where you're sitting, dear friend, whether you're watching by way of TV, you're listening by way of radio, you're watching by way of video, or you're listening by way of podcast, right now would you say this to God? Would you say, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And this morning I repent of my sins and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia 30558. God bless you and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.